Welcome back to another episode of the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football Podcast. Good evening, everyone. Dustin Lunt, your host here. And with me, my co-host, my partner in crime, my hetero life partner, Jacob Trowbridge. <laughs> How you doing, Jake? Hey, oh, I'm here. I'm here and I'm ready to, to roll. Oh, perfect. Perfect. We have got a very fun episode tonight. I'm really excited to get into this here. Uh, very special guest tonight. We are we have an actual real doctor on our podcast this evening to talk uh, injuries in the NFL, uh, COVID-related issues that could be coming up this season, uh, and then maybe go over some player-specific uh, injuries and, and how that could play out and affect these players. So that's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. I'm really excited to have our guest on tonight. Uh, but first things first, as always, what are you drinking, Jake? I am. Well, you know, before I even get to what I'm drinking, could I ask you an honest question? Would you be more excited if we had a fake doctor on, like in the vein of, of Turk Turkleton or JD from Scrubs? Only if we had both of them together. Both together? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it would take both to be better than our special guest that's, that's coming right. up. That's right, yeah. So that I just would, wanted to confer that... with and if we could make that happen somehow, I would love it. So, so you can go ahead Here's and work what on we that. We can do. We can have we can have Edwin come on and give real injury pre uh, previews and analysis, and then we can have them come on later and give completely uh, not helpful analysis on that. How about perfect? That? I love it. I love it. <laughs> Great. Well, it's sold. Then we're done. Uh, but I am to answer your original question. I am drinking. A left-hand peanut butter milk stout. Ooh, going a little uh, heavy here for for summer, aren't you? I am. Well, can I can I be honest with you? Uh, I don't hope you're be always honest with I, me. I, I recorded <laughs> with a different podcast prior to starting this podcast here. Um, there was there was an, another. Uh, I, I'm a little ashamed to admit it, but I went really light on those beers, and so now I wanted a little something uh, different. All right, fair and, enough. Left hand is kind of like the king of drinkable stouts, so I was really excited for this one. Mm-hmm. Nice. And how is it? I'll, I'll be honest. It tastes like – so it says peanut butter milk stout, but it's definitely trying to emphasize some chocolate up in there too. Mm-hmm. A little bit of like a Reese's Ooh. aftertaste. But not fake Reese's, so That's I honestly good. think it's pretty damn good. It's it's 6%, um, and I'm impressed. I'm very impressed with this one. Oh, that sounds very good. So a lot mm-hmm. of times with the peanut butter, you get that very fake peanut butter flavor, and it can be very overpowering and not great. So oh, I might have to check that out. This tastes pretty natural. I would I would definitely recommend it. It is seasonal, so you're gonna have to <laughs> get on get on board with it before the season's over. But oh, okay. What do you think? <laughs> I am drinking uh, from One Barrel Brewing Company. Uh, out of here oh, in Madison. Cool. Uh, this one was actually brewed up in Door County, Wisconsin, out of their their new location. But this is their Door County Trolley Red Cherry Lager. Oh, and it's, it's such a pretty can, too. Look at that. You got to get those Door County cherries in yeah. there. That is a great can, by the way. Uh, and that's probably why it was brewed up there, right? Just yes. the freshness of the, of the cherries there? Absolutely. How is it? It's, it's okay. Uh, it's got very good cherry flavor. It's very red. Uh, is it tart? Would you say it's, it's tart? No, it's not tart at all. It's more like a sweet cherry, like a maraschino cherry. Ooh! Uh, it's like a kitty cocktail. Yeah. Mixed in with a beer. Yeah, but it's got this odd kind of metallic-y aftertaste that I'm not mm. quite sure of. Uh, Are you biting the can? No, I am not. Then I'm out. I'm yeah. out of ideas. Uh, but overall, not bad. Not bad. I wonder if it'd be better straight out of the keg into a pint glass. Rather than, than sitting in the can. I don't know. Let's be honest. It always is. This this is fact. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm happy that I'm happy with my beer. I'm a little less happy that you're a little less happy with yours. But ah, Like uh, I said, it's fine. It's nothing, nothing to write home about. I'd give it a whirl if it was out there. Maybe it's just my uh, my delicate tongue can't handle the flavors. I don't know. <laughs> You're so used to that that battery aftertaste. It just hits you that's right. in the back. That's, that's unfortunate. Right. All right. Well, that's unfortunate. I'll tell you what's not unfortunate. Our drunk, 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 hammer, drunk, 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 trade of the week. Uh-huh. So this one comes in from at FF Zinger. 
you probably know and love him. Uh, but he submits. This is not his trade. He just witnessed this. The day OBJ was traded to the Browns, he was at a bar, and it resulted... Oh, wait, no, this is his! Oh, no, here I thought I was going to give him a pass. <laughs> I thought it was somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Michael. Uh, the day OBJ was traded to the Browns, I was at a bar, and it resulted in him sending three first-round picks plus Golden Tate and David Njoku for OBJ. Ugh. Where he's sitting on that right now. Ugh. It doesn't feel good sitting on it. It's, uh... Is it that big of a woof for you? Okay, so let, let's break this up. I think three firsts was too much for OBJ to begin with. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not as high on OBJ as others, uh, I'll be honest. Uh, but three firsts is a lot. I mean, that's that's like Saquon Barkley level uh, uh, giving up uh, draft picks there. Golden oh, Tate, you're never going to get Saquon for three firsts. <laughs> I know. Uh, Golden Tate is still a very productive wide receiver, too. Uh, he he's not what he was, you know, a handful of years ago. But he is someone you can have in your lineup every single week without doubt, and you're going to get most likely wide receiver two numbers out of him. Uh, and Joku is just a throw in for me. That that really doesn't do much. Uh, I've never been a big fan of him. Uh, he's a stash. He's yeah. a stash in case he gets traded. True. But yeah, it just seems t- way too much for me personally. Personally, I, I would never Look. send that. In hindsight, obviously knowing what OBJ's value is right now, it's not close to three firsts. I'll tell you, as somebody who who has OBJ on on a dynasty roster, that it's not close to three firsts. What you would potentially get in exchange for him now if you were to move him off your roster. Uh, but like at the time, I, I here's what I'm going to say. I don't think it's the most outlandish trade that you would have seen at the time. Like, I think you would have probably been like, oh, man, that's a little rich for my blood. But I don't think we would have been looking at it like now. Like, that's crazy talk. I don't know. I mean, you think Glenn? I would be curious to see. I bet you this is one of the, the biggest, more lopsided trades you'll ever see for OBJ. Uh, I, I bet you there's not one out there that's more than three first plus a, a wide receiver two plus. I, ever I mean, that, in his career? I think so. Yeah, I would be surprised. Let's put it that way. I just okay, that, DTFFers, DTFFers, if you've seen or been a part of a trade that would have more on the non-OBJ side, uh, let us know, because I, I would be very curious about that. Yes, me too, please. Uh, I, I just, yeah, I just, it seems like so much for him, uh, for me personally. But Now, I'm expecting a full OBJ bounce back, which might be where we differ here. Like this year, I was totally, we talked about it ad mm-hmm. nauseum, but I was way off of him last year in terms of that one year, you know, because getting traded to a new team. Mm-hmm. It's always sketchy. I never loved that. Uh, and with Baker, I didn't fully trust Baker. I do think this year that OBJ, he's a top 12 guy. And going forward, I think he'll be fairly consistent. But yeah, I, like I understand why this is a bad trade. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I just don't think it's the worst we've seen. I wouldn't say it's the worst we've seen. Uh, we've definitely seen worse drunk trades out there, but this one is this one's uh, pretty bad in my book. <laughs> hey, look, I, I won't I won't argue with you on just that portion of it. It's not great. It's no, not, great. not at all. Not at all. <laughs> How would you rank it on the uh, on the drunk scale? Where do you think that they they were? I mean, he freely admits that he was drinking. And then the news broke that he got traded. How drunk? He was probably at least six double IPAs into the night. Double IPAs? See, I'm glad that you put that uh, delineation in there. Oh, of course. Double IPAs. Yeah, I'd say that's probably fair. Look, I, just because, like, if you're making it on the day that that trade's announced and you send this much, that's where I would say it was probably a little much. Because, mm-hmm. you know... You just found out he's on a new team here. Hold your horses. That's right. All right, that's fair. That's fair. Can can I make a quick uh, plug here, Dustin, before we move on and and we get our guest on? Yeah, absolutely. All right, DTFFers, if you're not playing the drinking game, you need to start playing the drinking game. If you want the rules for the drinking game, you go to at Drinking Fantasy on Twitter so that you can play along. You can drink and imbibe with us as we're talking through these things. I have a sneaking suspicion that we're probably going to mention uh, a handful of the uh, quote-unquote drink tokens that are on that playing board. I'm sure we will. 
<laughs> All right. Well, we will be right back with our guest. Hold on. Well, we are back with our special guest this evening, Dr. Edwin Porras. I uh, hope I pronounced that correctly, sir. Yes, you did. Absolutely. Oh, perfect. How are you yeah. doing? I'm doing, man. We're, we're, we're chugging along here, right? This is the fun part. We're, I, was, I was complaining before we started recording, but <laughs> this is the fun part, doing stuff like this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So why don't you start off by uh, telling us a little bit about yourself, where we can find you, what you're all about. Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at FB Injury Doc. I'm probably there too much. My wife would say I definitely am there too much. Um, so that's where you can catch most of my stuff. It's a central hub, but you can find my stuff over at uh, fantasypoints.com. Uh, so I think if you are, oh no, I guess after this is released, uh, right now they're running a special that's 30% off all subscriptions. And so that's going to end tonight when we're recording. But, um, yeah, they're, they're, they did that for the uh, for the discount because of the pandemic and everything. So uh, that stuff, for me, it's super valuable. Uh, I like to joke that I was a fan first of all those dudes, Joe Dolan, Graham Barfield, Scott Barrett. And so, like, for me to have access to, to them, first of all, talk to them, and then just to have their content is, like, that's going to be absolutely clutch. Um, and then I have people like you that I can follow along. Like, and I, I, I love checking multiple sources because sometimes I'll maybe get a little biased. And so I can go, I can check externally. Like, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. So yeah, anyway, that's the injury doc, fantasypoints.com. Perfect. And you know what we're going to do, actually, just to retroactively, obviously the listeners are going to be hearing this and they're going to be bummed because they missed out on it. But you, if you're an eagle-eyed uh, listener, will post something on Twitter uh, before that deadline passes so that you can at least mm -hmm. get some access. And if you're hearing this, right. now you're either very excited or very bummed, but either way, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. All right. So All right. Oh, go ahead, Jake. Oh, I just, I just wanted to say, uh, before we get into the meat of this episode, um, that we, I struggled, Dustin, I don't know about you, but I struggled when we're eventually going to talk about some very specific players. I struggled to come up with, with a small amount because I could have asked you about half of the <laughs> rosters, uh, for this. And, and I'm sure we'll, we'll try to answer yeah. that by way of our, our generalizations here. But, uh, it was, it was tough coming up with uh, some names for this show. I got to say. Yeah, it definitely was. Well, um, and you know, we'll get into that, uh, a little bit later on specifically, but yeah, I'm ready. All right. So, uh, as we kind of talked about early on in this episode or at the top of the show, uh, we're going to be talking more injury focused and, and how certain things will affect or could affect the league this year with COVID. Uh, but why don't we start off talking about, um, the injury rates for mobile QBs and, and how you see that playing out? Oh, my favorite. This is my favorite topic. I asked, I asked Jack if we could talk about this specifically. I typically don't ask, like, when people are like, oh, do you want to talk about anything specific? I'm like, that's ah, all right. But I feel like this has been a hot topic again lately. You know how topics mm -hmm. sort of wax and wane. So I, my the big thing that I want to make clear is that football is a game of, I mean, let's, it's just, it's a violent game, right? I mean, there's no getting around it. Uh, there was a study conducted by, I think, Dr. David Lawrence, I believe. I'd have to go back and check that. But basically what they found over a period of four years is that 2.3% of all games, uh, NFL football games, are injury-free. So when we talk about this idea of injury-prone or quarterbacks getting injured or any position getting injured, I think we have to approach it from a different lens than, than traditionally we think of. It's not an anomaly to get hurt. The anomaly is staying healthy. So I think when you view it in that lens, uh, it'll make a lot more sense, and, and it's easier to, easier to digest information like this. So, But essentially... I, a lot of people will complain or rail against uh, people like your players like Lamar Jackson, who, granted, he's unprecedented. He doesn't run a lot. I mean, he runs a lot. Jeez, he, he runs a ton compared to any other quarterback in NFL history, really. But, uh, you know, when you really regression to the mean will show you. Um, and this is from my friend, uh, John Varis over at, I'm going to get it right, Sports Info Solutions. I never get that. I just nailed it. Boom. I never get it right. I joke with him that I never get that right. That deserves okay. applause. If we can figure out what I applause behind this, absolutely. Absolutely. Please do. I always get it wrong, literally every time. But um, he. so this is information from him. Uh, so I'm going to let you guys, let's play the guessing game here. We'll start with, uh, let's say, just any type of design run. And you may have seen this information you guys, I think both of you may have seen this information before, but let's say, you know, what percentage of, of designed runs would you say end in an injury for a quarterback? Percent of designed runs. Mm -hmm. uh, ooh, 
Okay. Uh, oh, I'm going to guess. Or word it differently. Let's word it differently. How many design runs do you think occur before there's one injury? I'd say with design, because they can't happen super frequently, because there's so there's just not enough quarterbacks like Lamar out there who would would be great at it. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna say it's I don't know 25 something like that in that in that realm. So once every 25 plays is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Once every 25 design runs. What about you, Dustin? Yeah, I was gonna say like 15 percent of runs. Okay. Okay, that's fair. And then it really, the percentage is tough. I shouldn't have set it up like that. But, okay, so we'll put it like this. In a sample of 1,916 plays, 119, or 1,916 designed quarterback runs, there was an injury once every 174.2 plays. Ooh. So, that's a 0.6% rate. Now we'll go to scrambles, and I'll give you a hint on this one. Scrambles is, there's, it's a, it, injuries happen a little more frequently for quarterback scrambles. Um, but how many how many plays per injury do you think occur? Okay, well, I was bit with the last one. I, I'm just going to double down. I'm going to say the exact same. It's one every 25. Okay, okay. Dustin? Um, I'm, I'm going to guess that that percentage at least doubles. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that, be, so, so that would be so that would be what? So that you be, have to be specific. I got specific. I need to hear you mess up as much as I just messed up. Uh, I don't know. So what was that? Uh, it was out of that sample that was a uh, hundred and some. So it was a hundred. Yep. So so designed runs was an injury once every one hundred and seventy four plays. So I will say once every uh, seventy five. You're getting closer. So for scrambles, it was one once every 107 plays. And then you also, so and then going down, so one in 174 and then one in 107, right? So those keep those numbers in your head. Now, the, the, the ironic part here is that for sacks, it's once every 75 plays. So you got that one, Dustin. Sacks are oh, actually right. once, one, every, for every 75 sacks, there's one injury. For every quarterback knockdown, it's 57 to 1. So every 57 quarterback knockdowns, there's one injury. Ooh. So you're looking basically at a rate of 1 in 174 for design runs, 1 in 107 for scrambles, and then it totally plummets to, you know, 1 in 175 and then 1 in uh, 57 for, for sacks and knockdowns. So essentially the point in all that, that little exercise is that the, the idea that the running quarterback, the mobile quarterback is more injury prone actually isn't really fleshed out in the data. The data shows us that essentially there's there's it's actually safer in some instances to run or to scramble out of the pocket. So that was sort of uh, sorry sorry if I made that little painstaking. I, w- I probably <laughs> caught you guys off guard. Uh, I'm not a big math whiz or anything like that, but that's essentially the point that I wanted to get across is that the numbers show scrambling and design runs are are not really more dangerous. Yeah, Love Edwin, it. you're not the first person to come on this show and make me look like an idiot. I mean, that happens literally on the daily on Twitter. Uh, no, but that you're is not honestly <laughs> that's crazy. Um, I, I had no idea that it was such extravagant differences in that. Um, and obviously, when you think about it, if I, I suppose, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're sitting back there and you're taking those hits, you're taking those sacks uh, because your O-line's garbage and they're letting guys through left and right, and maybe you're a little bit less prepared to absorb those hits than if you are if you're on the run because you're anticipating it more, does that, do you know, I mean, th- this is probably all going to be circumstantial and a little bit just based on you know stories and narrative more than anything else, but do you think that no, is yeah, that is? That's a good question. And yeah, and the, it, the answer is probably yes to all everything you just said, because you also look at the numbers that I don't have in front of me for slot receivers who, so you think of slot receivers basically short over the middle, right? Bubble mm-hmm. screens getting laid out, sort of hanging out to dry, jumping up for a pass. So those dudes have a lot higher rate of concussions. We also know that receivers and tight ends have an, ex, they have the highest rate of concussions in the NFL. And then, so, and then pass catching running backs, they have the highest percentage of concussions uh, compared to their counterparts who aren't pass catching running backs. So basically running routes, <clears throat> excuse me, running routes and being a pass catcher in general, where you're sort of left out to be defenseless. Those mm-hmm. are the times that you really are worried about. Those are the, and, and it, sh- and it sort of does show in the, in the data that one, you know, once every 75 sacks, once every 57 knockdowns, I mean, that's, that's pretty much you're looking at a, a sitting duck quarterback who's mm-hmm. not moving, who's not, you know, who's not doing anything. So that definitely plays into it. Yeah. And to look at it, I guess I didn't look at it in this regard until you started talking about it, but, uh, 
uh, on those design runs. I mean, it makes sense that it's got the lowest, you know, percentage of injury because, you know, you're getting your, your linemen and your tight end and your wide receivers out there, uh, out in front of the quarterback, uh, blocking for them and opening up those lanes. So, uh, that makes a lot of sense. I just never thought about it in that regard before. And the last thing I'll say too, then we can put a bow on this since this is the subject I, I picked on my own. So when you think about it too, with what I think what really bothers me is the idea that it's just a narrative, right? Like people just sort of run along with whatever narrative they, they were taught or they, they're as passed down to them or whatever the case may be. Narratives are narratives. Um, but even when some people, not, not a lot of people, I've actually got to give them credit on Twitter. They've said to me, wow, okay, you really showed me this, this, you know, doesn't make sense. Like my, I was wrong. And that's, that takes a lot of humility to do. There's still some people that I show them the data and they're like, well, you know, this and that and this and that. They'll try to discredit the source. It's like, dude, I, you're the type of person I don't know. I don't know what else to tell you at this <laughs> point. You know, like I can't really convince you. Um, but if you also want to look at it from a different perspective, like with Lamar, Lamar, he actually was, uh, not contacted on, let's see here, 46% of his runs last year. So he ran the ball 176 times. That was a lot of rushes or rush attempts. Uh, he was tackled 85 times. But other than that, he had a minimal contact, ran out of bounds 47 times. He slid 15 times. He had, he got shoelace tackled six times and he ran into the, this is, this is, a, this is a funny stat. He ran, ran into the end zone untouched four times. So 46% of his, of his, runs actually ended in no contact and so even if we you know concede okay sure contact is more dangerous and quarterbacks are fragile which they're not even if we concede that you know if Lamar Jackson's only taking five to six extra hits per game how much more risk is there really and so that's that's the bow that I would put on that one Mm -hmm. that's fantastic and it's so nice to come at it from hard numbers standpoint because that's the only way that you can 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 contradict those notions and those narratives is to say like look here's a i can give you the chart i can show you the spreadsheet that's that tells you definitively and this is not a small sample size right that says no this is how it is but look you're you're always going to have those people who will come back and just try and argue it for the sake of that's that's what they have in their brain. Uh, it just doesn't compete with them, and there's no hard numbers you're going to be able to show that will you know disprove it in their eyes. But to the rest of us sane folks, it's great to actually get that context. To it, <laughs> to I'm learning. It. I'm learning that flow about people. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So let's uh, switch gears then a little bit here. So um, as we're we're coming into training camps here soon supposedly uh and an off-season programming uh how do you see maybe a shortened training camp and or preseason uh affecting how the injury rate in season or in the preseason uh it seems like you always see see the guys that come out and you know they tweak their hamstring or something like that and uh do you see that increasing with the shortened training camp or is there no no real correlation to that. Uh, what are your thoughts? No, super good question. And there is a correlation. So I guess I can't say necessarily there's a correlation with NFL players, but Dr. Tim Gabbett, who is basically like, if he's not the founding father of workload management, he's definitely like the founding uncle, I guess. I don't know how you would word somebody like that. He's a, he's a lead researcher in this kind of stuff. So essentially he found that if, if workloads don't hit that sweet spot, and there's some debate among the, the, the science community and the medical community, but I mean, it makes sense in big term. If, if there's not a sweet spot between long-term workloads uh, over like four weeks, over eight weeks, over 16 weeks, compared to one day, you know, five days, a week, two weeks, if that ratio gets out of whack too much, if, if they run a hundred routes, you know, on, in one day and then the next day they try to run 400 routes and that's not, that's not the normal schedule. There's actually like a three to 5% increase in, in risk for soft tissue injuries. So when you think about, you know, the short preseason they announced today is going to be, you know, they're going to take, they're going to cut game one and game four, which in my opinion, how it should be anyway. Like, mm-hmm. why are we doing four? I mean, I get it to a certain extent. Some of the guys that are trying to prove, make the roster. Um, but for the veterans who've gotten used to year after year after year, I immediately think of Larry Fitzgerald, who year after year after year, they're probably in the same routine. They're probably in the same workout pattern. Mm-hmm. They're probably eating the same thing, sleeping the same hours, you know, in the same place, by the way. Larry Fitzgerald's been in Arizona since they probably probably has a key to the city at this point. So, since Arizona was founded. I, I know that's <laughs> Exactly, since it was founded. So guys like that are the ones that I think about. Uh, when it comes to what is this going to look like for them? How quickly are they going to ramp up? How how much you know layoff are they used to? Because you know veterans come in and a lot of them don't even you know they'll they'll 
tweak their ankle at you know training like the mm-hmm. first three weeks of training camp where you know their 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 fish died and they don't go to like which is whatever fine but <laughs> even that time of rest that their body's used to over the last three four five six years even that time of not work of, of, of being sort of relaxed that is going to throw off their long-term workload ratios so that's sort of a long-winded answer to the rookies should probably we might not see really that much of a change or a shift if there's going to be an increase or a spike in soft tissue injuries like hamstring strains, quad strains, stuff like that, we're likely going to see it more so in the veterans. Hmm. Interesting. And do you think age would play into that at all? I mean, even just rookie versus veteran, do you do you suspect that somebody like Larry is a prime example because of his age right now? Is, is he more at risk for that than, say, uh, you know, a 26-year-old? Or does that not really play into it? Oh, dude, yeah, that's a totally good question, too. So that's funny that you use the number 26. 26 is actually the average age of the NFL player who gets hamstring injuries. 26 seems to be that sort of sweet spot because standard deviation to that age, too, in the medical research, it's like less than a year. So between like 25 and the very edge of 26, those are the dudes who tend to, if they haven't had previous hamstring injuries, they'll get them at that point. A lot of guys, um, especially if they've had them in the past, they're already predisposed. So what age does for a player is it, so we know these things naturally, right? So you get older, you get less flexible, unless you're Jake, who's probably on a gymnast or something. I don't know. Uh, so <laughs> you get, what's that? I said, that's not even close to true. <laughs> I, I, gave up, I gave up my gymnast ambitions like six months ago. So. Oh, were you, did you actually try to be a gymnast? Oh, God, no. you. So, sorry, as it got off track there. So, essentially, you get older, right? You get less flexible, even if it's in minor increments, even if it's not something that you notice immediately. You know, it really is. It's a really super corny phrase, but it's a game of inches, right? And so, every every inch really does count. Every bit of, of sort of athleticism matters. And when they hit that age 26, that does match up with what the, the science says about, okay, you've already reached your bone density reserves. You've pretty much already maxed out. Um, what's called your VO2 max. So like how much, you know, basically genetic potential you can even, you know, train for. It's like, so let's say you're in train for a marathon. Like you've already reached your genetic potential in terms of age. You've, you've maxed the ceiling at age 25, 26. Um, that's not to say you can't stay, you know, at those maximums for a long time. But, you know, some of these players, they play a really, really rigorous game. And if they, that's, this is when you sort of start to see their bodies um, not not even break down. I don't even want to say break down. They just, these 21, 22, 23-year-olds come in, right, who are literally like fresh fresh bodies, like, you know, peak athleticism. That's when they start to come in, and you start to see them miss less games, fewer games. So age, it definitely matters. Previous uh, hamstring injury, specifically for hamstrings, definitely matters. Uh, and then the workload, the workload management, short-term over long-term ratio, that all matters. So that's sort of where my brain goes when I think about how this uh, the pandemic might affect uh, soft tissue injuries. Okay. So speaking of the pandemic, uh, how do you expect the, the pandemic with COVID-19 to uh, ex- affect this season kind of in a, in a very broad sense, assuming there actually is a season at this point? I know that's still very much up in the air, uh, you know, and how do you see with like players getting quarantined and is it going to be entire teams or, or you know, kind of give me some of your thoughts on that. Yeah. So, I know it's, I know I, it's I a very loaded question because there, no, there's no, no. so much out I there. I just but. don't want to like – I don't necessarily want to make it seem like I know everything that's mm-hmm. going on, right? Because I don't. Nobody does. If anybody right. tells me they can predict anything that's going on, they're lying to you. <laughs> and specifically for my training and like my degree and my education, it's really – it's I know enough about like down to the molecular level stuff to be dangerous, but I don't – I don't really dabble in like the virus and the, 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 all that kind of stuff and how mm-hmm. it affects, but my wife does. So I talk to her all the time about it. So my wife's pharmacist. So basically her thought process when we talked about it last was, you know, there's probably going to be a season because follow the money. Like, you know, that the NFL mm-hmm. is, you know, it's funny. We, we get from the NBA and the MLB reports about how they're going to prevent it, the, you know, prevent players from getting the disease. Uh, and then you get an, a report from the NFL. Well, we're going to fill the front row with sponsors in case you guys were curious. That's how we're going to get our money back. <laughs> so anyway, that's sort of digressing. But from a technical standpoint, it's going to be really tough to pull off a season, um, in my opinion. I think it's going to be really tough um, to do it in a way that isn't disingenuous. Like, let's just come out and say this is about the money. I mean, mm-hmm. of course, the players want to play. Coaches want to coach, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, 
this is a, a situation where it's it's you're you're getting 53 people you know before the coaching staff on either side on either sideline you're playing a contact sport you're staying in hotels you're flying in planes you're doing all this thing you know it, even it, you can have the strictest you know protocols to test and, and whatever people are going to catch catch this virus some people we might not even know like they might become a positive then they have to quarantine for two weeks mm-hmm. you know from when from a fantasy football perspective you don't have that player for two weeks mm-hmm. right and then you also have the perspective of okay well we don't know which players necessarily have a history of let's say for example asthma because players that have asthma for example you know a respiratory issue this disease might actually hit them and actually give them symptoms that are severe okay how long are they going to be out after that mm-hmm. you know is it a starter is it a backup so what, since this is obviously fantasy stuff, since we're talking fantasy, to prepare for that, I've been saying you, you as, a, as a commissioner, as a league manager, whatever, in my opinion, if the season does move forward, which it's not 100% yet, I would, I would I advocate for having at least two or three IR spots that are COVID specific and using those. I mean, that's tor- I think that's a very reasonable, practical, practical thing to do. You're going to have to pick up players off the waiver wire, right? We're going we're gonna to be scouring more than likely. Um, so that's sort of from a from a practical perspective how I view that that series of questions. Did I did I get it all? Mm-hmm. Yeah, how- you completely nailed it. The only part, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dustin. I'm actually curious because, like, from a fantasy perspective, 100% on board with that idea. By the way, I think more spots need to be added just to account for that. I, what I wouldn't even say is like a chance. I just think it's an inevitability, as you kind of alluded to there. But from a real life NFL perspective, let's say that you are Roger Goodell. Is this something where in your head you're saying, man, I should look at expanding for teams this year? You know, should teams be allotted a certain amount of players? Obviously, you have your guys that you're allowed to suit up every week. Should there be extensions to that from your perspective, both from IR or for specific COVID designations, like you said, with fantasy? Yeah, I mean, that that would make sense, in my opinion, practically to do that. Um, maybe you, you start from, you know, okay, guys that were on the reserve pup in the IR, you know, reserve pup, you guys can come back in week three. Let's cut it in half, right? Guys that were to start this because to start the season, reserve pup guys have to wait until at least week seven to come back. Mm-hmm. Let's say... Reserve pub guys, you guys can come back week three. IR guys that have to usually come back uh, at, uh, at week eight, okay, you can come back now at week four and start sort of rolling back those those restrictions, I guess, those rules, whatever, those policies, um, and and doing and being flexible. I think flexibility is going to be absolutely key if this season is going to a even begin and b finish. You know, <laughs> we're not having Nick Foles versus. You chase Daniel in the Super Bowl, right? Like if we, want, if we don't want a Super Bowl in the middle of October with those two quarterbacks, you know, this, there has to be flexibility involved um, and there has to be some sort of, you know, some level of precaution to be taken. Yeah, you know, you shouldn't joke about the Bears making the Super Bowl. That just doesn't work in our world here. So uh, apologies <laughs> if you're a Bears fan, but uh, yeah. <laughs> and the disrespect put on Nick Foles' name now. I mean, come on. Big Nick energy. I apologize. <laughs> I don't think anybody is really interested in seeing that play out from that perspective. Honestly, Bears fans, I think, would probably have some hesitations about that. Oh, absolutely. Um, that, that's a great uh, perspective, I really think. Uh, and I'd n- not even considered something as small as what you're saying about rolling back some of the limitations mm-hmm. for when these guys come back. I think, you know, as far as concessions go, that's got to be the smallest, you know. And, and, and right. I think that's really valuable to at least put on the table there. So that's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. So kind of continuing along these lines, uh, if, if for some reason the season was actually canceled, uh, how do you see that affecting uh, kind of injury rates for next year? You know, guys having an entire year off uh, where they're not allowed at the facilities, in theory, uh, kind of working out on their own, maybe not with their normal trainers, normal diets with their, their nutritionists, etc. Uh, how would you see that affecting the NFL and player injuries, specifically uh, the following season? Yeah, that's also a good question. Uh, that one's even a little, that's, that's even more difficult to sort of project than, you know, what's going to happen because of the shortened preseason. But I would just, I would probably just repeat a lot of what I said about the preseason. Like, you're going to get these guys that have a whole year off. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're going to have these guys who are used to this routine. Like you said, they're going to be, you know, they're going to be rolling back their, their, their routines and their schedules and, and, and the whole, and the whole deal. And it would be, 
again, sort of like we were talking about with the quarterbacks, it's not saying that nobody is going to get hurt um, because it's a violent game. And it's not saying, you know, oh, you can't predict that these people are going to get hurt because everybody gets hurt. But it is something that would increase the risk for further injury to more to more dudes or even more severe injuries. So the quality and the quantity of the of the injuries could definitely increase uh, if there's no season in 2020. Yeah, so basically, you know, like you said before, the veterans would be the ones that uh, w- would kind of have the leg up, so to speak, uh, because they, they know how to take care of their bodies and, and everything else. You know, you don't have the uh, uh, the, the Eddie Lacy's of the past where they're, they don't know how to take care of themselves and just pound cheeseburgers all day long. Well, well I guess I would say, I don't know, and maybe I didn't make it clear earlier, veterans are the ones that would be at the highest risk because they're, if they, if they get out of their routine. So I guess that is right. a, a massive disclaimer. If they get out of their right, routine. Right, right, right. But I, I think a lot of these athletes are so much, they're so much more uh, active about, at least from my perspective, I mean, I'm not like, it's not like I'm 80 years old and can look back on 50 years of NFL <laughs> or anything, but... From what I can tell, these players are a lot more informed about their bodies. They're a lot, they know a lot more about what their routine should look like. Um, cause you just, the things that you hear, you know, for example, Chris Ball, uh, the NBA, I think he's still the NBA, uh, player rep president. He first said before they decided on coming back that they would need at least four weeks to, to ramp back up. And that's exactly on the nose what the research says, the medical research, right? So you get this NBA player. He's a player. He's an athlete. But, you know, you know, somebody's in his ear giving him the information, hey, this is going to be the safest for you. And this is what you should advocate for. So these players, you can't you can't really discredit them. Like you were saying the the veterans, they would be the ones that would stay on their, you know, stay on their crap and know what they're doing and and get the best possible evidence available to them so that they can make the the best decision for the for, for their bodies. They would be more responsible, hopefully, uh, in, yeah, keeping that consistency going. It's not like going back to the days of, uh, you know, dudes smoking on the sideline where, like, you know, yeah, 25 years ago, you're like, are these guys even going to show up for so any <laughs> training? You know, all of those guys would be basically just out, out for the year if, if they were undergoing through this. So, uh, hopefully, yeah, hopefully the veterans are adept at this mm-hmm, and they mm-hmm. kind of on uh keep on rhythm i guess if we uh fingers crossed you know we have some sort of season to go off of but if not it's always good to consider not just from a human being's perspective because that's sometimes the most important factor is just look like we love watching these guys we want these guys to be able to stay healthy and stay uh participating and do what they do the following year if worse comes to worst but from a selfish perspective, too, of just you're a dynasty football player, it's also good to uh, to have a handle on that if it if it comes to that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, uh, Jake, do you have any other kind of overarching, you know, big picture questions here for uh, for Edwin here before we kind of move into a little bit more nitty gritty uh, player specific questions? I have no overarching big questions. I'm ready for the small questions, the nittiest of the grittiest. When we talk about some specific players that folks might be interested in. All right. What about you, Edwin? Do you have any other uh, injury-related topics you'd like to uh, discuss quick here? I think you. I probably rambled enough, guys. Let's let's move on. <laughs> I think you did not ramble. I think you provided yes. just a, a, a bevy of information, which is super useful. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So Keep gassing me up, please. <laughs> So we have just a a handful of uh, players here specifically that we want to talk about. Uh, The first one I would like to talk about here is Delvin Cook. Uh, You know, he's had those reoccurring shoulder injuries. He's had the ACL, which he seems totally recovered from that. So I I don't think that's as big a concern, but it seems like the shoulder injury has been reoccurring. Uh, Is this something that with enough time uh, will heal up or is it something that could keep happening here to him uh, as seasons progress? Yeah, I, I think that's something that he's definitely at risk for. It's something that he's at risk to happen again and again. This is actually in 2019, that was actually his fourth documented shoulder dislocation. And so when you look at it from that perspective, you basically are looking at a player who, for we don't know what reason, some people are just born this way. They literally, that's that's like the label that we use for, for some patients. You're either, you're either born loose or you're torn loose, right? So you have some traumatic event that dislocates a joint or you have, or you're just born that way. And unfortunately, it seems like he falls into the latter. He's born this way. And he's, he's like a Lady Gaga fan or something. I don't know. You guys probably don't listen to a lot of Lady Gaga. Uh, I promise neither do I. 
<laughs> My wife said, yes, you do. <laughs> she's great. She's real helpful all the time. So no, but yeah, he, he's definitely, he, he's had, and he's had surgeries is, is the, the worst part about it is he's had surgery to correct the right shoulder. Um, and then now this happened to the left shoulder. So you can have some level of success after the surgery, but you've also got a dude who's done it over and over again. And th those chronic dislocators, those are the ones that are at risk to do it regardless of the surgery or not. There's actually still about a 26% failure rate of those surgeries if you keep playing your sport. So even if he has surgery on the left side, which we don't actually think that, you know, he has, mm -hmm. um, there's, there's about a 26% chance with the surgery that it will dislocate again. And without the surgery, it skyrockets to like 55%. And that's based on the medical data of NFL players that have had those dislocations. The downside is literally zero. Like Dalvin Cook is, he could be done on the shelf because he needs an, uh, a surgery that'll, that'll take nine months to recover from. Um, or he can get to week 15, like he did last year and then get hurt, um, and dislocate that shoulder. And he's got all some other issues too that sort of play into this, like this theory that he's got connective tissue issues. So ligaments, uh, cartilage, stuff like that. Those types of structures in his body just don't seem to mesh well and agree well with him. So, like, again, I'm not going to say he will get injured, but I will say that he's objectively at an increased risk according to the data. Yeah, so basically, if you own Dalvin Cook in uh, on one of your dynasty teams, you should probably try to get Alexander Madison uh, to have him on your bench so that, like you said, that that risk is increased there where you can just plug Madison in and know you're, it's not going to be a one-for-one -one swap, but... But you're going to get maybe 75% of, of Delvin's Pretty uh, close, yeah, production. I was going to say. And Dustin, not to put too fine a point on this, and not to belittle listeners by any any means, but you should already have Alexander Madison on your rosters if you are a Delvin Cook. But true. If you have Delvin Cook on your mm -hmm. roster, he should be holding hands right now with Alexander Madison well, you should, uh, on your bench. But if not... Actually social distancing on the bench together. Yes. That's, that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. They should be six feet apart, but they should be <laughs> like mirror to mirror, holding their hands out yes. at each other. Absolutely. Yeah, safe distance. That's, that's a good way of putting that. Thank you for reminding yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, Jake, why don't you give us one of yours here? Well, I'm really curious here because from an injury perspective, there are some guys that you just anticipate, like soft tissue injuries, for example, where it's 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 a little bit more maybe a known faculty, whereas there are some guys that seem a little bit nebulous. And to me, one of those guys is Brandon Cooks because concussions are, they are a beast. And Brandon Cooks has had now five known concussions so far um jordan reed by uh comparison had his sixth concussion last year and and we're likely not to see jordan reed on a football field again which is probably for the best honestly for his own personal health mm -hmm. um but there are other guys you know Devonte adams has had three in a relatively short time on the spectrum i guess if you can even put somebody there, Brandon Cooks, how scared are you with that concussion history? Um, I don't know if I use the word scared per se, but I definitely am concerned. Um, it's like you said just a minute ago, too. I'm more concerned for just the dude, like just for the human who has had these, you know, five documented concussions. Uh, it's a scary thing, man. Like you said, the the idea of concussions in general is... I think we overlook it. And again, I don't, I love the NFL. I love football in general. You know, one of the hardest things that I, my wife and I have come to the decision is that we don't want our kids to play football, but, but I love it. I love watching that. I love everything about it. But the reality is this brain damage that, that these players endure, we sort of just shrug it off, right? And, oh yeah. You know, he got a concussion. No, he got a stinger. He got his bell, whatever bell rung. So, but in reality, it's a much more concerning situation. And so he has honestly entered the zone where even though we don't have a ton of data on it, I mean, you can pretty much just look and know clinically he's he's one more concussion away from it just being there's no way that he can play football again. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, will he get a concussion? No, I can't. Again, I can't say that, but I can say that compared to his peers, you know, even if he doesn't get a concussion in a full 16 games, he's, he still will play the entire season at an increased risk compared to to everybody else. That's a, a great, again, to put a little bit of emphasis on it, like just for these guys who are putting themselves out there, that's kind of terrifying for them. 
um, I, I, I would imagine that once you get to that Jordan Reed level, that is, and for what it's worth, obviously Jordan Reed has come out and says that he still wants to play, but it's tough to, to say like, yeah, we want you to play because I mean, that's terrifying to just think that the next hit could be the worst one uh, above all of these that have already happened. Um, I guess my only, my only question is like, from your perspective, is there a certain threshold even, this is getting a little broader strokes, but is there a certain threshold that the NFL should even consider for concussions history? You know, in, in your opinion that maybe like one is too many, but is there really a threshold where they should start taking it out of the player's hands? Well, I can tell you that there's data that shows in some people, um, and this is in women, so it's actually not, you know, quite, you can't carry it over as much, but it's still, you see it in men as well. Um, there's about a, like a 2.5% higher likelihood to get a second concussion after they get their first. And so it would make sense clinically, you know, if we're talking about a player, like, and again, this is, I know this fantasy football podcast, it seems like we're really getting into like the weeds of, of actual, you know, consideration for these players' health, which is important in my opinion, a good conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in reality, you'd be like two. Okay, dude, you're at least on the list. Um, you know, the American Academy of Neurology actually says if a player loses consciousness, they should they should wait at least 30 days to return to sport. We never see that, man. How many no. times have we seen that in the NFL? Never, right? So when you ask that question, and again, I hate to like take it away from you know hardcore football fans. Like I understand this is the culture that sort of has been created, but in reality, from a medical perspective, from a health perspective, and just from a human perspective, um, it's not it's not safe, man. It's not even after one, it's like, that's a scary thing. It's because we don't know the long-term. Well, we know a little bit. We have an idea of what the long-term implications are of that. And it, and it, it's a far-reaching, you know, consequence outside of just football. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. But it, it is nice to, I think we all need to be reminded every once in a while that these are real dudes that go out there. These are real guys that have real concerns, not just from what happens on Thursday, Sunday, Monday, but what happens for the rest of their lives. Like, I think it is important sometimes, you know, not to get too heavy, but it's it's good to keep that in the back of everybody's minds um, that this is real. You know, this is real stuff. It's not just on your stat sheet that's showing up, but. Um, but Dustin, I would take it over to you to, to maybe lighten the, uh, how's the weather doing? <laughs> yeah, we'll see. We'll see. So, um, I wanted to talk about Darius Geis here. Now, uh, his situation, a little bit different. He's had a couple different ACL injuries. Uh, I know he had a sprained MCL this last season where they, they shut him down, uh, which was actually something smart that the Washington staff did for a change, uh, in regards to their player health. Uh, is I always like to say you're injured until you're not. Um, I, I don't like to say you're injury prone necessarily. I, I don't like that term. Uh, but uh, but I feel like there is definitely something like you know you, you got to show me you can stay healthy basically. And and so far Darius Geis has not been able to do that in his very short career. Uh, has it just been bad luck or or is this something you know uh, a, a symptom of a, a bigger thing where he's just not going to be able to stay healthy? Yeah, that that's. Awesome question. So I think that Darius Geis is the victim of a lot of bad luck. Um, he was pretty much healthy through college. I haven't seen anything that he was not healthy through high school. Uh, then he hits the NFL and, you know, he tears his ACL. Then he has an infection, which I'm not going to say that infections don't happen after orthopedic procedures, but, you know, there's a reason that everybody gets antibiotics during those procedures. Um, that's just, it's not as common for that to happen. And that really, you know, slowed his progress with rehab. Then the the dude comes back, tears his meniscus in the other knee. It's like, oh, man, he cannot catch a break. Comes back from the meniscus. Does, has the MCL. Uh, I'm not sure if it was an entire rupture, but it was definitely significant enough to where they just mm-hmm. shut him down. So it was at least a grade two. Uh, so the, the problem is, like, now you basically have pre-injury Darius guys, like you were saying, versus post-injury Darius guys. Pre-injury Darius guys... He was a slam dunk. He was, you know, the best predictor of availability in the NFL's availability in college. That's what the research shows. And having a high draft capital. Those are the two best predictors of staying healthy because it means you've done it before, like you were saying. So you're onto something there. Uh, if you've stayed healthy before, the chances are of you staying like, uh, staying healthy, you know, through the NFL in a career is also very good. He just had the worst luck, you know, of any player that I've seen in recent history. 
So unfortunately now, because of those injuries, he is at risk for osteoarthritis. So the Todd Gurley knee, right? Todd Gurley syndrome. He is at risk for another ACL tear, uh, just, you know, a tad bit more. He is at risk because those tissues in that MCL are a little more lax now. Uh, he's at, he's at risk to hurt the MCL again. So it's like you were saying, like for me, when I look at Darius Geis, I see a really unlucky person who is now unfortunately prone to, you know, having these injuries again. Uh, and it's unfortunate because of how talented he is. I think that if he does make it through the season, it's going to be on, it's going to be on a load management type schedule. I think it's going to come at reduced volume. I think he's going to share the ball a lot. Um, I think that he can still be productive, but to expect, you know, an RB1 performance from him, you know, even the data, the research shows that a year after a meniscus players, they play like 60% fewer snaps than, than maybe it's not quite that much. I think it might be 30% fewer snaps than they did the year before for two years after the surgery. So all of those things taken into consideration, I don't really want to gamble by drafting him too early. Mm-hmm. That's it's so interesting. One, because I always wondered, like at a certain point, Adrian Peterson has to just like peter out because he's he's a million years old. But the, obviously you bring him back probably as risk mitigation because you mm-hmm. don't want to overload Darius guys to this point. And so you just hold on to him because he's willing to be there and he is fine. He's an efficient uh, running back. And so that makes a lot of sense. It almost feels like Darius Geis is two running backs, what Carson Wentz is quarterbacks. Just like a lot of bad luck. You know, like mm-hmm. here's a dude who gets called injury prone, which we talk about on this podcast all the time. We hate it. But it's like the dude just had a lot of fluke injuries or, you know, like Keenan Allen for wide receivers. Like there's a lot of fluke injuries. They're coming in a short amount of time. And so by default, people look at him and go, oh, well, you're done or you're always going to be injured or, or what have you which sucks for them, like just for them. But if you believe in this, then Darius Geis has to be maybe a dude who you're looking to add on to your rosters, you know, for for dynasty perspective, at least. Um, can I also ask you what's going in wa- what's going on in Washington there with that team? Because talk about infection, right? Do they just not have antibiotics in Washington? Because Alex Smith, if you haven't watched the uh, ESPN doc, listeners, you have to watch that because that's ridiculous. The dude basically had like zombie virus, and it's like, and I, I don't know. This is in such a short time frame too. Like, what is happening in Washington? I can't. I don't know. That's the, that's the answer. I don't know <laughs> what's happening behind closed doors with those healthcare professionals and their players. Things happen. I don't want to be on the outside looking in, criticizing another healthcare professional. Mm-hmm. I do my best not to do that because it's the most the most frustrating thing is having a colleague sort of pick and choose mm-hmm. or, or sort of cherry pick things that you've done when they weren't you know in the room. Uh, physical mm-hmm. therapists specifically, it, we're notorious for sort of picking at each other, but we also are the same. Like, it's funny that we can see a patient, for example, with low back pain and they, you know, they're getting better, getting better, getting better. They hit that ceiling. They're like 85% better. They still have like 15%. And you look at your colleague and you're like, do you think you could, you know, maybe look at this, look at this patient's problem and tell me, and then, oh yeah. And then they take a look at, oh, right there. And then the next visit, they're better. So it's like, there's so much nuance. It just, sometimes it's just another eye to see it. Right. And sometimes it's just, dumb luck so but i will say specifically for alex smith his uh his fracture and his this it wasn't even dislocation it's just a massive fracture so he hit pokes through the skin so that's that's always gonna like skyrocket your chances of, of infection regardless of of the antibiotics or not that's 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 like a i guess i should say it was a lot more likely that alex smith was going to get an infection than darius guys I appreciate that level-headed, yes. very kind approach to try. that. Try. I was looking at it, I was like, you guys need to get better infection control on your squad. Uh, but I know I appreciate your courtesy about that. Uh, yeah, Dustin, do you have any other questions about, uh, about Geist there? No, I don't. I think that was great. Thanks. Nice. Can I ask you, Dustin, personally, after that explanation, are you considering, like, for redraft even, is he on your radar now, maybe more than he would have been? Uh, if, if he's available late enough, I, I'm not willing to take him probably where he's going to end up going in redraft. So I think he still has that name recognition. Adrian Peterson's on the team, but he's old, you know, even though he's a cyborg. Uh, I, I just, I, I probably won't be taking him just where you're going to have to take him. I think there's probably going to be some better options out there. 
That's fair. I'm putting him on my low, like lower level list, though, potentially for ads for Dynasty, about sending, fielding some offers potentially there. That's re- actually really, uh, really good to know that context going into that. Um, cause as, as a medical dum dum here, I'm just like, that guy looks bad now. I don't want, <laughs> I will say if you're going to, if you're going to add him to your roster, this is probably the year to do it. This is going to mm-hmm. be the look, this, this will be, you know, unless he just doesn't perform, this is the lowest that, it, that his quote unquote price will be. Mm-hmm. Inter- and, and I think that's fair. Like a, a ground floor, I guess, right. For Darius guys is, is here. So I may consider stepping onto that elevator. We'll see here. Um, one other guy that I was really interested in getting your perspective on. So we've covered a couple of running backs and a couple of wide receivers. That was not by design, actually. We just kind of uh, accumulated these guys that we were interested in. But the second wide receiver I'm very curious about, which is the opposite to me of Brandon Cooks and that very specific concussion history, is A.J. Green. If anybody has ever, oh boy, has ever spurned uh, the the name injury prone like he's the guy who got that going for everybody <laughs> in re- in recent memory it's AJ Green because it's every year and it always seems to be something a little bit different like I look up his injury list and I'm looking at it right now and I have to just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and it's really disheartening is there anything that you can offer um, where like maybe this would be the year for AJ Green, or is it a lost cause at this point? Yeah, I think that you have to be really careful with him because he did have an injury, a history of hamstring injuries too. I mean, the dude missed eight games because of a hamstring tear uh, in 2018. I mean, he hasn't played in games since 2018, so you also have to consider that he's 32 years old. You know, his body hasn't played in an NFL game since since that point. I think that if he, you know, if there's going to be a player who comes back and can perform and be like a wide receiver one. I mean, it's going to be a player in the tier category that AJ Green is in, right? So a, a dude who's super athlete, super talented, probably in the what would you guys say? Maybe top 20, 25 receivers of all time, somewhere in there. I don't know. Um, if it's going to be somebody that can come back and bounce back from all that and still have like a wide receiver one type season, even a wide receiver two type season, it's going to be AJ Green. The flip side is all the things you just mentioned. He's got this massive ankle reconstruction he's coming off of. He's got the history of the hamstring uh, injuries. He's 32 years old. Uh, he's in an offense now where, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily, I don't know what's going to happen with him. Like, I can see him sort of converging into a Deshaun Jackson type. Not, obviously, he's not Deshaun Jackson. You have Tyler Boyd there, and you have the other, who's the other receiver that they drafted this year? Uh, T. Higgins was brought on. Yes, yeah, so I think that he, like, I'm pretty sure he plays, you know, he'll he'll run routes in the slot. Um, so I, I, I don't know, because I was thinking that A.J. Green would move to the slot because he's, you know, maybe just isn't a burner anymore at his age. But it's going to be, if there's one player that I'm super intrigued to watch this year to see what happens, it's definitely A.J. Green. I, I love that. I've been considering, as we've been talking a little bit about, like, Scott Fishbowl is under... It's going underway here. It's it's coming up soon, and there are those points where, like, in those types of situations, you have to look for that really hidden, sometimes, upside, especially for wide receivers. And he, right now, I'm actually just curious, because I, I, didn't, I didn't prep this ahead of time, but I'm very curious, just as a one-for-one, one, from your injury perspective especially, like, personally, who you would rather have, not only for this year, but going forward— a very comparable, comparable guy, in my opinion, at least in terms of perception. AJ Green or Ty Hilton both have had a lot of a lot of injury concerns, different types of injuries. Although Hilton did have some hamstring issues as well, but like one for one, is there a preference there for you? I think so. Okay, well, let me establish. Am, am I taking them at their ADP, or am I like giving a team and one team has Ty Hilton, the other team has AJ Green, and I don't have to spend anything? Let's say it's completely uh, uh, equal cost because right now, actually, they're not super far away in ADP, at least for redraft purposes. So let's just assume that one for one uh, situation uh, notwithstanding, right? Like even team notwithstanding, because mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of fluctuation happening with both teams. Like one for one, just based on their histories and injuries, is there a guy that you would mm-hmm. be happier with? Oh man, you really are putting me on the spot here with this one. This is a tough one. I think that I, if, I, if I had to, speaking strictly from a an injury perspective, I think that I would take my chances with 
AJ Green because of all the things I just said. But I hate it. I, I hate that from, from like a physical conditioning, like everything from an age perspective. I, I don't like it at all. Um, and then if I'm being honest, like my bias is also that Philip Rivers is toast and he can't throw the ball any further than like, you know, 15 yards downfield and can't get the ball to T.Y. Hilton. So that also played into my decision. But that's 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 what I would say. I love that. I love that. I think we're yeah. actually both on your uh, field of thought with with uh, Rivers, mm-hmm. right, Dustin? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. This is the year that his arm actually falls off during the middle of a throw, and he has to pick it up and then try and run it into the end zone. I I think this is the year we'll actually see that. <laughs> that dude got signed before Cam did. I don't I don't understand that. Yeah, me either. Uh, we all just appreciate the fact that Cam is finally on a team, and we get to see him again. Thankfully, again, see if the season happens, we at least get to see him, and we get to see him with uh with papa bill so that will be very interesting mm-hmm. uh can we i'm curious uh, just if you have any stray thoughts about cam though injury and all that uh history in if it's built in right are you concerned at all about him i guess from a, a dynasty perspective from a dynasty perspective i'm gonna default to dustin's like show me first with cam um i'd like to see it first from a short-term perspective, I would like to. I'd, I'd like for him to cross into the ten-month mark after that injury. The ten-month mark is generally when players tend to come back. Some of that has to do with the fact that you know if they have a late-season injury, then you know season or an early-season injury, the season doesn't start for another additional whatever couple months. But generally, you're looking at between eight and twelve months. So I want to see him perform on that foot. Um, I want to watch him play. I want to know that he's symptom-free for this year. Um, and then I would be all in on him. I mean, at this point, you know, I think there's enough doubt. I don't understand the people who like cape up for Jared, St- Jared Stidham, who has, has thrown like two, sorry, if you guys have, he's thrown like two NFL passes. Like <laughs> I think even doubting that Cam is a starter, if he's healthy is all is caping up for Jared Stidham. I mean, that's like, even if you say, well, we don't know quite yet. That's all right. You're caping up for Jared Stidham who hasn't thrown an NFL pass. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like it's all right. You're already making a decision there. So, I don't understand that, but I think a healthy Cam Newton is a super dangerous Cam Newton because uh, that offense and that offensive coordinator, they're going to be the ones to tailor to his his physical abilities, and they're going to be able to maximize his potential at this age. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. Bill doesn't use, like, schematics. He doesn't structure his offense and go, here's my offense, here's the design for it, I'm just going to shove pieces into it. That's never how he's operated. So, yeah, I, ca- I can't wait to see what he uh, pulls off with Newton. Even though, I mean, at this point, it's just like, I'm a little bummed about the Patriots still being able to be the Patriots. <laughs> but, you know, happy to see at least some form of change there that we can at least see a different version of the Patriots and see uh, see what's what, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, uh, Jake, do you have any other uh, questions here for our guest uh, before we let you go? I do not. I appreciate all the valuable insight there, though. We are ju- we're just dumb dumbs when it comes to like medical things in general, all together. And I, I know I'm speaking for you, Dustin, but I, I don't think that you're going to cut me off in it. We're just very dumb about that stuff, and it's great to have some some real practical expertise come on and explain some of these situations that honestly are, are were head scratchers before. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I don't think you're dummies. I think you just do different things for a living. <laughs> I decided to go to school for way too long and get in a lot of debt to learn about the body. So who's the real dummy? (laughs) Yeah, no, it was a very enlightening uh, conversation. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Before we let you go here, uh, why don't you tell us one more time where we can find you and uh, all that good stuff? Yeah, FB Injury Doc on Twitter, uh, at at FB Injury Doc, and then all my full long articles are they're not long i guess there's longer form articles are at fantasypoints.com all right great well thank you again for coming on uh it, it was awesome having you and anytime you want to come back on to discuss more injuries we'd be glad to have you hey let me know guys i appreciate it thanks again yep all right thanks man well, big thank you again to our guest, Edwin. Uh, that was one of the more enlightening conversations I've had in a long time. Wouldn't you say, Jake? I 100% agree, and I'm not just saying that because you're my co-host and you held up a sign through our video <laughs> chat that said, I have to agree with you. No, for real, that was uh, super insightful, and mm-hmm. uh, I actually have to go back to the drawing board, I think, for a couple of uh, of players and do some reevaluation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely going to 
make me think about some of my early season projections I went through and, and maybe take a look at some of those. So uh, that was awesome having him on. And uh, if you guys are not following him, uh, please do so. He's a wealth of information. Uh, you'd be dumb not to. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for this week, folks. Feel free to go out, give us a rate and review. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. Uh, hit the subscribe button. We do appreciate the, the, the subscriptions. Uh, if you want to hit us up, any sort of fantasy-related questions, you can find us at Drinking Fantasy on Twitter. Uh, hit us up on our DMs. We're available almost 24-7. Almost. Uh, almost. We- also, uh, get ready for the... Uh, Scott Fishbowl Potathon. You've heard us mm-hmm. talk about Scott Fishbowl here coming up very soon. The Potathon, which is fantastic for charity, uh, it's going to have a lot of big names coming on and a little mm-hmm. uh, special sauce from yours truly here from your favorite podcast is going to be making a brief appearance uh, on that as well for promotion. That starts Sunday, July 5th and runs for 24 hours. So uh, keep mm-hmm. your peepers peeled on that one. Yeah, I'm guessing that's just going to be a wealth of information. And uh, especially at those wee morning hours, I, I, I think it could get a little uh, punchy there, uh, which would be great entertainment. Uh, definitely going to check that out. But you can find me at FFDustyDog on Twitter. You can find me at Jake Trowbridge. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football. Cheers, FFers. Cheers.